0: like to speak about the Gospel of God. The Bible is the most influential book in the world. No other writings have ever exerted so much power over mankind. A fact that any impartial observer can easily verify. In the Bible, no book has been more influential for conversion than the epistle to the Romans. Through it, Augustine was converted. Luther was turned to Christ. And the heart of John Wesley was strangely warmed, as he said. In the history of the church, these were hinge men because of their conversion experience, doors swung open wide for new world epochs. Every minister owes much to the book of Romans. Certainly, I'd been preaching for many years myself and uh, trying to find some simple solution, a presentation whereby I might present the gospel to people and uh, so they could understand it. And I found that in this book of Romans, many key scriptures kept staring me in the face, coming back to mind, that when I would be talking to a sinner, I would always use these scriptures. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, Romans 6 and 23. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be seen, Romans 10 and 25. And then this wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Romans 12, 1 and 2. The theme of this great book of Romans is the gospel. My text is a phrase from the first verse of the first chapter that dominates all the rest of the chapter, the gospel of God. This appears in verse 9, the gospel of his son. And later in the chapter, I am ready to preach the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Since with this text we are at the beginning of the epistle, let us consider firstly the gospel. Let's consider the authorship of the gospel. Long ago through his prophets, God had promised his gospel. Through Moses, the Lord had said he would raise up unto the people a prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses. Unto him ye shall hearken. Deuteronomy 18 and 15. In His Son, God caused the gospel to become real and personal. According to the flesh, Jesus was made of the seed of David. According to the Spirit of Holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, He was designated the Son of God with power, Romans 1, 3, and 4. That was all by the working of the author of the gospel. Those who receive the good news are enabled to do so by God. The application of the gospel also goes back to the authorship of God. From him, Paul received grace and apostleship to bear witness to Christ. As the gift of God, the Roman Christians to whom he wrote had their fellowship in Christ, so that from beginning to end with reference to its past, its present, and its future, we may say of the evangel, it is all from God. It is promised of God, produced of God, and received by those called of God. Often we speak of human beings as inventors but such a statement must be relative. In the absolute sense, no human being can invent a single thing. The only true originator is God. Man's highest destiny is to think God's thoughts after him. When a person invents a particular thing, he is really discovering something God thought of in the beginning and then put somewhere in his creation. All of this holds true in what we vaguely call religion. Whenever in religion you get human invention, you get distortion or negation or both. The only author of spiritual truth is God. Therefore, when we come to the evangel, our proper approach is to ask, what does God say? It is the gospel of God. He is the author. This is the foundation of the gospel. On the canvas of this first chapter in Romans, the apostle paints the background of the gospel, a background that is dark indeed, for it all has to do with sin. When we approach the subject of human sin, we have to reckon with far more than fact that meets the eye. From modern psychology has come a phrase full of meaning and suggestion, depth psychology. The phrase rightly suggests that deep down in human personalities lie vast hidden areas that are subject to violent storms. Out on the ocean, when all underneath is calm, mighty storms may rage on the surface of the deep. But in matters of human personality and sin, the opposite often holds true. The surface of life may seem tranquil, but underneath may rage the awful workings of sin. Countless persons endure their days and nights with desperation known only to God. Sin has also its open manifestations, which stand out in the latter part of this first chapter in Romans. Here, Paul shows the link to which sin will go and the detestable forms with which it works in human society. He points our gaze to three sorts of basic disturbances that sin causes in mankind in the relationship of man to God, within man himself, and between man and man. The disturbances wrought by sin manifested themselves of old in three ways. One was perverted worship. Here you need only think of Sodom and Gomorrah, or of Pompeii and Herculaneum, which exchanged the truth of God for lies and for idolatry, which always debases. Again, there came perverted sexuality, wherein people exchanged the proper expression of marital love for unnatural relations that channeled the creative urge of life into dead-end streets of lust and frustration. Thirdly, there were perverted human relations, wherein people exchanged the proprieties of justice and mercy for ways of passion and violence. In these societies, sin came to its bitter end. The revival uh, often ended in the hearts of people, and the Bible sums up such sinners in these words, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless, Romans 1 and 31. In that old world where sin went on unrestrained, society lost its head and its heart. The modern world is not better. Have you with shame read a typical magazine article entitled Sweden and Sin? Have you, with disgust, kept informed about the recent increase of homosexuality in England? Do you read your own newspapers that mirror vices and show how sin breaks out in the open, often with volcanic force? Deep down, where you cannot see it, sin keeps working so terribly that often you can watch its outworking in shattered bodies, shattered nerves, and shattered lives. Does anyone feel that I am overdrawing this picture of sin? If so, I ask you to do this one thing, watch yourself. If you are careless about your soul, if you think that all this teaching about the dark background of sin is not relevant to you, watch yourself through these coming years. For if sin is not checked, it always gets worse and worse. It produces a deepening entrenchment of prejudice against God and the things of God, a hardening of the heart, an increased grasping after the grosser things of life. Sin is always sin. In human beings, one by one, and in human society, sin still rages. If Calvin Coolidge were here today, he would gain the impression that we are against sin. And so we are, so is Paul, so is our Lord Jesus Christ, so is God our Father, so is the Holy Spirit, so is every Christian who has any discernment as to the root causes of all the disorders in the world today. In sin lies the dark background Of the Christian gospel. Now we come to the top of this gospel, the content of the gospel. In imagination, let us go into a classroom this morning and take a test. Most of you have had a long course in the meaning of Christianity. You have come up through the Sunday school, you have attended many services, and God bless your hearts, you have listened to many sermons. Of course, you know what the gospel is. Even so, let each of us take a pencil and a piece of paper. We shall imagine that Paul is writing on a blackboard the question that constitutes our test. What is the content of the gospel? The person next to you says to himself, this is easy. Then he begins to write the gospel is a code, a set of rules. It consists of God's holy requirements. In the Old Testament, these are found in the Ten Commandments. In the New Testament, they stand out in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in the golden Rule. We are supposed to live up to these requirements, to love God and love our fellow man. That's the gospel. When the paper is finished, Paul takes it up, reads it, shakes his head sadly, and marks it with a big zero. Then he says to the writer, you got only to the edge of the gospel. The person on the other side of you has even more confidence. He says to himself, I know that the gospel is more than a code of laws with commandments and requirements. The gospel is a philosophy. It's an ideal." It's the noblest of all teachings. We're to try to aspire toward the realization of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. We are to follow such slogans as, Hit your wagon to a star, follow the gleam, and ever onward and upward. That's the content of the gospel. This person, too, has flunked the test. He has reached only the fringe of the gospel. Think about the matter in terms of a church building. It has front steps outside and other steps inside. The building itself may represent the content and heart of the gospel, which is a message of forgiveness and deliverance from sin. The first step may correspond to the law, the requirement of God. The inside steps may represent the ethical ideals that we strive to realize in our content. The front steps are not the church. The inside steps are not the church. The law of God is not the gospel. The ethical ideals are not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what God has done in his son, Jesus Christ, to secure us sinners from the power of death and to keep the law of God and to realize the ethical ideals of the Bible. The content of the gospel is Jesus Christ. The inspired record tells of Jesus as made flesh here on earth, living among men, teaching them and doing many mighty works, dying on the cross for our sins and rising again in glory. The gospel is the inspired record of how, when we receive Christ by faith, God accepts us as righteous and says, Now I give you my Holy Spirit with power to keep the Bible law and to realize in your own experience the ethical teachings of Holy Writ. If we know the gospel, we have a threefold responsibility. To believe it, to obey it, and to share it with others. When Saul met the living Christ on the road to Damascus, that sinner believed in him, and accepted him then Saul went forward and obeyed him and for Saul that road meant the beginning of God's forgiveness favor and power thereafter he could write I repudiate any righteousness of my own I counted all as filthy refuse that I may be found in Christ to have a righteousness which is of God in Jesus Christ Philippians 3 8 and 9 in like manner God asked us to believe in Christ and thus to accept Christ and his gospel the effectiveness of the good news depends on god not on you he says by faith receive it believe it through my son obey his word and you can have my forgiveness my favor and my power whether you are a jew or a greek wise or unwise the gospel applies to you if you have never before clearly understood the gospel receive it now this very moment through christ you are free through christ and his blessed gospel you are cleansed through christ and an obedient faith, you are made whole and one with him. Now live in his power. As Christians, we are also to share the gospel. That is why Paul wished to go to Rome, to Spain, and to regions beyond. He declared, I am a debtor to the gospel. I am ready to preach the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I've got to go everywhere and tell this good news. You can be free no longer, a slave to Satan, no longer condemned because of your sin. You may also have power All the power you need, it's here for you in Christ. Thus the apostle kept saying, I must tell the whole wide world about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the gospel of God. My friend, if you know and believe the gospel, if you have obeyed the gospel of Jesus, what of this compelling urge, this spirit thing? In a little notebook, do you have a prayer page where you list the names of persons who are not Christians? Persons for whom you pray one by one and to whom you speak about Christ in terms of the gospel? Do you have in your mind and in your hearty prayer page with the names of the unsaved whom you remember daily in the throne of grace? When did you last speak to someone about the gospel? Not about the law or about the church or about the names or about the ideals, but about the gospel. Or do you clam up whenever you have an opportunity to introduce Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord? What is this twofold responsibility? to receive and obey the gospel and to tell others. First, to believe the gospel deep down in your heart, to be begotten through the gospel, the word which is the seed of the gospel, planted in the womb of the heart, and then to come forth in obedience of faith in the new birth and to work for the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a debtor, I am ready, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are literally teeming thousands of people in the world today hundreds, perhaps thousands, in the area of Corinth, Mississippi, who have never experienced a truly converted heart, a truly converted soul. I tell you, my friends, the building does not make a church. The words and descriptions of men do not make a church. Only those who have been born again, blood-washed, Bible-believing, baptized, born again, spiritually born again, children of God, have the right to the kingdom of God. And I say with all humility and all sincerity this morning, To those thousands of you who never darkened the church door, it is estimated that 11,000 people, oh, it's almost unbelievable, 11,000 people in driving distance of Corinth, Mississippi, never darken a church door on the Lord's Day at any time. Oh, beloved, that's going to be a sad, sad witness against you and your families, against the churches of God in this community in the judgment day. And I ask you, are you a Christian? Are you planning to come to God's house this morning and worship God as a Christian? What other Christians? Or are you planning already to go your merry way and to make your little finite, useless excuse and say, Brother Fred, I can't be in church this morning. I just can't be because I'm too lazy, because I'm too sinful, because I don't care enough about it to put it first. That's what the excuses ought to be. I say it with courage because someone's soul is at stake. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus who died and bled and suffered for you. Precious friends, friends, as you listen to my voice this morning, if your name is on the roll of the Harper Road Christian Church, if it means anything to you, if you know about cemeteries and death and hell and heaven and after death the judgment, if you believe there is a God who saves, then I urge you, To think of what God said when he said, it is better for a man not to make a vow to God than after making that vow to fail to do all that he promised God. But the latter end of that man is worse than the first. You're not playing with baby things now. We're not dealing with some trivial, inconsequential, insignificant, unimportant subject. We're dealing with the destiny of eternal souls, yours and mine, and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ has always been and will always be, and is today, the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, even unto you. If you have no place of worship, where you are faithfully serving God and being fed spiritually, may I cordially extend to you a warm and sincere invitation to worship with us today in the Harper Road Christian Church, where the Holy Spirit leads, where the Bible of God is our rule for faith and practice, and where Jesus is supreme, where you are needed, wanted, and welcome. Until next Sunday at this same time, this is your local evangelist, Fred D. Huckleberry, saying goodbye, neighbor, and may God bless you indeed.